0: I want to call your attention tonight to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses of that 16th chapter. We're continuing our look at the parables of Jesus. Tonight we're going to be looking at an interesting parable, uh, not that the others are not interesting, but this one uh, is perhaps the most unique of the parables that we have looked at thus far and perhaps the most unique of Jesus's parables because Jesus uses here a negative example in order to make a positive point. Uh, the parable is, is commonly uh, talked about, uh, described as the unjust steward. Uh, Peterson, in the message version of uh, the Bible, calls him not an unjust steward, but a shrewd manager. And really, I prefer shrewd manager to unjust steward for a couple of reasons. Unjust suggests that what the manager does is, is, is something so reprehensible that none of us should seek to learn from it at all. Shrewd is different from unjust. Uh, shrewd suggests that uh, what this manager does, what this steward does, is he relies on his wits in order to get him out of a bad situation that he has gotten himself into. Let's be clear: we we have told you before that when we discuss these parables, uh, that there is symbolism involved in them, and quite often uh, one of the symbols, one of uh, one of the characters in the parable, represents God. There is no God in this parable. There there is no representation of God in this parable, but there is a representation of us, and essentially, in case you got to get up and go before we're done, if you don't get nothing else, get this. You can learn from the principle even when it's employed in a negative way, and that's essentially what we see here. Jesus uses a negative usage of this person's talent, this person's ability, in order to make a positive point. Let's read the parable. Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired and I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I will do then when I'm turned out into the street people will take me into their houses then he went at it one after another he called in the people who were in debt to his master he said to the first how much do you owe my master he replied a hundred jugs of olive oil the manager said here take your bill sit down here quick now write fifty To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write in 80. Now, here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Street wise people are smarter in this regard than law abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. Hear what Jesus says. I want you to be smart in the same way, hyphen, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. Do you see that? You've heard me read it. You read it along with me. Preachers typically pass by this parable. Because we don't think that there's any redeeming quality to be found in the parable, but there is. And and, and the redeeming quality is not in the practice, not in what the man does, but in the principle that he uses in order to do what he does. And the principle is this. I ain't got no job, and I need to be able to take care of myself so I'm going to do whatever I have to do in order to make it in this situation. We can tell the story. I can spend 10, 15 minutes telling you the story, but the story is is plainly there in front of you. This man was wealthy. He had a a wicked, uh, conniving, cheating manager that he left in charge of his stuff and the guy took advantage of him. He took advantage of the fact that his back was turned. He took advantage of the fact that he trusted him to act with integrity with his stuff. And he did not act with integrity with his stuff. And when the master learned of it, he said, you're fired, and you've got a couple of weeks to get your books straight, and then turn them over to me so that I can hand them off to somebody else, and you're going to get out. And, 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 and the manager says, I'm too old to do manual labor. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I sure know that's the truth. Um, I'm too old to do manual labor, and I need to be able to make a living. And with all the stealing that I did, I didn't put enough in my 401k to make sure that I was going to be taken care of if I ever got caught. So I need to come up with something that will help me to deal with my situation. This is what I'll do. I'm going to shortchange my former boss and I'm going to make my fellow servants, my former fellow servants, happy with me. Let me ask you something, especially you all who who go and spend all day shopping, all, 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 all weekend shopping. Don't you just love it? When you go to the store after you've clipped out all your coupons and, 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 and you think that you're going to get 20% off on something, but then you walk in the store and the salesperson says, Well, guess what? Just for this hour, there's an additional 30% off. So, so you don't just get the 20% off that you came looking for, but you get another 30% and, and y'all go to sing and praise the Lord. God was looking out for me. Isn't this a wonderful thing? That's essentially what this manager does. This manager looks at the various uh, vendors who were in debt to his former boss and he marks down what they owe. Now, when you do that, somebody has to pay for it, right? Who's paying for it? The rich man. The rich man is paying for it. He, 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 he tells the guy, first of all, and, and, and I have to remind you, Jesus tells these stories in order to make a point. I don't know if I'd let the fellow who's been cheating me audit the books and then bring the books to me after he has audited them. I'm not sure that that's a sound business decision. But Jesus does it this way in order to make the point that he's trying to make. And that is when given the opportunity to act with integrity, or to continue to use the wits that he has used up to this point in order to deceive his master, what does the manager do? He continues to rely on his wits. He marks down what each of the the vendors owes his master. The master's going to end up paying for it. But you know who's happy about it? The vendor's. If you tell me that I owe you for a hundred of something and you say, that's all right, we, we're going to take 50 of them off. and You only have to pay me for 50 of them. The master ain't going to be happy if he ever finds out. And, and of course, the, the, the servant is, is, is assuming that the master is never going to find out. And there's a part of him that says, even if he does find out, I ain't going to be here no And I already lost my job. What more can he do? to me. But you know who's going to be happy? The one who only had to pay for 50% or the one who only had to pay for 80% as opposed to paying for the full 100%. Now, as I'm telling you this story, you ought to be sitting there saying, that ain't right. And you know what? You're right. It's not right. And yet, what does Jesus say about that? Look at verse 8. The master praised the crooked manager. The master praised the crooked manager. Why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. That's the principle that, 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 that we're trying to go through, and, and we're gonna make it a little bit more plain when we get to the end. But I want you to see it in the parable. Street wise people are smarter than law-abiding citizens. Street wise people are more shrewd than law-abiding citizens. Jesus is drawing a contrast And the contrast that he's drawing could get lost if if you're not aware of the context in which he's dealing with it. Here's the context. The law-abiding citizens have nothing to do with you and me. The law-abiding citizens have to do with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin council with which Jesus has been wrestling throughout his entire ministry. And the point that Jesus is making is not to praise or uphold the, the, the shrewdness of the manager, but to say that law-abiding citizens care more about the law than they do about the results. Do we have any examples of this that, 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 that we can share? Yeah, yeah. I got a couple of them. Jesus and and his disciples are are going through a field one day, and the disciples are hungry, and they start plucking grain off of the the stalks that are in the field. And the Pharisees see them doing this, and they get all upset. Remember, the Pharisees are the law-abiding citizens. Pharisees get upset about them plucking grain why do they get upset about them plucking grain well number one it's the Sabbath and plucking grain was considered to be work and no good law abiding citizen would do work on the Sabbath and so they say to Jesus tell your folk to stop plucking grain on the Sabbath and you know what Jesus says to them y'all got this thing backwards he says the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath you're more concerned with the law than what the law is trying to convey What was the purpose of the law? When the law was, this is not to to condemn the law, but what was the purpose of the law when it was given? The purpose of the law was to establish a righteous relationship, an honest relationship between God and man. Jesus says the problem is not with the law, but in the way that you convoluted the law so that you moved God out of the equation. And now it's no longer about the worship and the fellowship with God, but it's about the keeping of the law. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who's more concerned about the rule than they are about what the rule is is designed to accomplish? My daddy was like that about certain things. When, 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 when he got home, it was around 5.20 every day, he, he would pull into the driveway. And at 5.30, he would come outside the house, and he would stand in the middle of the driveway, and he would yell, Eric Fred, hot. That's us in order. My brother, me, my sister. He would yell it one time. And what that meant was wherever we were, whatever we were doing had to stop because it was time for dinner. And we were going to eat dinner as a family. Now, let me say this. I enjoyed eating dinner as a family. But the point of eating dinner was to get your belly full. The point of eating dinner was not that all of us had to be, we had assigned seats at the table. You you couldn't sit in somebody else's seat. Daddy sat at the head of the table, my mother sat right next to him, my sister sat right next to her, my brother sat at the foot of the table, and I sat over here on the other side next to the bicycles, because that's where we kept the bicycles, in the dining room. And, 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 And we couldn't rearrange where we sat. When we came in, we had to find our place at the table, and everybody had to be at the table before we could eat, so if one of us was an gang, it became a problem for everybody else at the table, and he'd be talking with my mother, and then he'd, he'd realize we ain't started eating yet, <laughs> and he'd say, where's Rick, because it was always Eric who was late, <laughs> where's Rick, and he's coming, We can get started. No, we can't get started. He ain't at the table. So we had to wait for him to show up at the table. Because the rule, I don't know if this is making sense to you or not. It makes perfect sense to me. The rule was we all had to be at the table. We all had to be at the table at the same time. We We all had to eat the same thing, which, by the way, was whatever he wanted us to eat. He did the grocery shopping. He brought in the food. And and, and so we ate what he put. And and we didn't get to say, I don't like it. No matter whether you like it. You, you, You eat what he put on the table. And whatever you put on your plate, you had to eat it all. And you couldn't get up and nobody else could get up until everything was eaten. There were rules in place. At some point it dawned on me that the rules were more important than the food. that, that, That for me became a problem, that the rules were more important than the food. Because the whole idea about eating is to do what? To eat, that ain't hard to figure out. The the, the whole idea behind eating was to eat. But for him, it was about us being together at the table as a family. Translate, because I can look at your faces. Y'all ain't following what I'm saying. The Pharisees were more concerned about them keeping the rules of the Sabbath than they were about what the rules of the Sabbath were intended to do. Jesus never sinned everybody in here ought to be able to acknowledge the fact that Jesus never committed a sin but I can tell you this Jesus did break the law he broke the law quite a lot and he broke it on purpose Jesus would go out of his way to break the law because he recognized that the way that the law was being used was contrary to the way God intended for the law when it was first given. So go back to the story. Jesus says that the master praised the shrewd manager because he used his wits in order to get by in a tough situation. And he makes this commentary. He knew how to look after himself. Street wise people are smarter in this regard than law abiding citizens. When you see law abiding citizens, you can put in their Pharisees. You can put in their Sadducees. You can put in their Sanhedrin council. Well, then who are the street wise people? The street wise people are supposed to be you the disciples of Christ. I knew when I picked this parable, this one was going to be different and difficult. The point that Jesus is making is that our job as his disciples is not to get people to follow rules. Our job is to get people to know God. And you're sitting there saying, well, in order to know God, you have to follow the rules. No, you don't. Not if the rules are intended to be obstacles to your knowing who God is. Not if the rules are used in ways otherwise than how they were intended to be used. Thirty years ago, the number one tennis player, number one male tennis player in the world was a guy named John McEnroe. Anybody remember John McEnroe? Bad temper, always yelling and screaming on the court. One of the things that people constantly pointed out about John McEnroe is that all of his tennis mechanics were wrong. He didn't serve the way you were classically taught to serve. He didn't approach the net the way you were classically taught to approach the net. It, it, when, when you approach the net you're supposed to come down the center of the court and then you're supposed to watch and see which way your opponent hits the ball and then you're supposed to move left or right depending upon where they hit the ball. He didn't lob, he didn't volley, he didn't do anything according to the classic rules of tennis. But you know what McEnroe did? He won. He won match after match, unorthodox tennis pros would probably have thrown him out of their class. He didn't care. You know why he didn't care? Because he won. Because the object of playing tennis is to win. The object of playing tennis is not to stand with your feet at a 45-degree angle against the baseline and to toss the ball and to hit the ball at its highest point. The object is to hit the ball as hard as you can, as fast as you can, so that the opponent can't hit it back. McEnroe didn't care about the rules of tennis. In fact, when it was pointed out to him that pros constantly complained about the way he played tennis, he laughed. And he said, well, all I'm doing is winning. And winning is good enough for me. Do you understand the point? Some people live for rules. All they care about are rules. Jesus says that the words that came out of the master's mouth is, he cheated me once, and then he cheated me again to get out of the cheat that he did the first time. I don't like the fact that I was cheated, but I admire the fact that he knows how to take care of himself. If I can put it in, in, in our everyday vernacular, he's already cut his draws with me. It don't matter what I think no more. What what matters to him now is how these people feel about him, because when he gets himself in a crack, it's going to be these people. He can't come back to me. He can't get nothing else out of me, but he can go to them, and he can get something out of them. The principle, not the way in which it was employed. What is the principle? The principle is, as disciples of Christ, it is our job to use every means at our disposal in order to present people the gospel of Jesus Christ, in order to present them with a relevant, accurate portrayal of who Jesus is. And the goal is to get them to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord The goal is not necessarily to get them to become sterling church members. The goal is to get them to know Jesus. The goal is not to get them to have a 30-year certificate of perfect attendance. The goal is to get them to know Jesus. Now this the reason why I, I bring this up is because this is where we are in the year of our Lord 2019. Has anybody been paying attention to the fact that for the last 15 20 years younger people aren't interested in worshiping like their parents worship. Couldn't care less. Don't 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 want to hear about it don't want to talk about it, don't care about it. And we have automatically assumed that because they don't want to worship the way we worship, that they don't want to know the Lord. That is an incorrect assumption. What they don't want to do is know the Lord the way the rules say. And so if the church is to maintain its vibrance, If the church is to maintain its relevance, if the church is to maintain its purpose, then the church has to adapt to those that we are trying to reach. What what we want is for those we are trying to reach to adapt to us. I say it every Sunday morning. I stand there at the end of my message and I say the doors of God's church are open. Translation, y'all come down the aisle and y'all accept Jesus the way that we are presenting him to you. Now, some will, and we thank God for those who will. Some won't. So what do we do with those people? Renegades, rebels, useless really? Is that the way we're going to respond? Is, is that what we're going to do? Are we going to be the law-abiding citizen? Or are we going to be the ones who are willing to abandon certain rules in order to accomplish the goal that we were established to accomplish? Now, I know for some of you, this is, this is problematic because if you can't do it by the rules, then it can't be done. I beg to differ. I just told you, McEnroe won championships and didn't follow a single rule of tennis. Bobby Fischer was a chess master, didn't follow any of the rules of chess. Anybody ever play chess? A- anybody ever studied the way Bobby Fischer played chess? Papers have been written about the unorthodox way that Bobby Fischer approached a chessboard. It's what made him successful. He abandoned the rules. Rules say that musicians have to be able to read music. Really? Really, Jerome? Rules say that all musicians have to be able to read music. I know some musicians who can't read nothing. But you put... you you let them hear it you let them hear it twice and they got it they don't know a half note a cliff note a bass note they don't know none of that but they know how to play are we are we solely interested i am not suggesting that the rules have no use I am suggesting that when we make the rules more important than the relationship, then we have misused the rules. Does that make sense to anybody besides me? God is not as concerned about rules as he is about relationship. And I know this because God doesn't approach any of us exactly the same way. And, 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 and when God gets in us, gets on us, moves through us, we don't all respond. That's why I can't stand cheerleading preachers. Everybody clap your hands. High five somebody. Shake three people's hands. Spin around and God doesn't speak to everybody the same way. God causes some folk to shout and God causes some folk to just fold up their arms and get real quiet. God causes some folk to laugh and causes other folk to cry and causes other folk to do other stuff in between. God does not, he does not deal with us and we do not respond to God in a uniform way. Well, if that's true, and I know it is, then why is it that we expect everybody to, to, to that, that, that we reach to follow a uniform way? Can the church become more, can the church have more variety? And how it reaches people. We all love Paul. Sometimes I think we love Paul more than we love Jesus. But Paul said, I must become all things to all people that thereby I might save some. That's an important statement. Let's start with the end of the statement that I might save some. It's an acknowledgement we ain't going to reach everybody. But with what I have at my disposal, I must be willing to move outside of my comfort zone. Because me being in my comfort zone is not what's important. Me sharing the gospel with you is what's important. Go back to to my father and my mother when I was a child. My parents treated all three of us exactly the same way. You did what they said do. If you didn't do it, there was a butt whipping coming somewhere down the line. We, we, We were not treated as individuals, even though we were very much different from one another. We were treated like a group, If you have more than one child, you know that your children are different. They respond to different stimuli. They respond to different ways of thinking. They respond to different ways of discipline. They respond to all kinds of different things. So if that's the case, what value is there? in regimenting everybody and trying to make everybody fall into the same category and overlooking the fact that each one of us is different. I can answer. Y'all ain't going to answer. I'll answer. There ain't no value in it. You have to acknowledge that you must become a different person to different people. Because the goal is not to get them to conform to you. The goal is to get them to know Jesus. Part of our problem is that we forget along the way what the goal is. And we think that the goal is to get everybody to do the same thing and to march to my beat. It's not the goal. When, 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 when Jimmy Johnson was the head coach of my beloved Dallas Cowboys, we're 2-0 oh, by the way. Just, just thought I'd... I just thought I'd let y'all know that. When, when, when Jimmy Johnson was head coach of my beloved Dallas Cowboys, he did an interview where uh, the reporter asked him about rumors that were coming out of uh, the Cowboys camp that certain players were given liberties that other players were not given. And they asked him, do you treat star players differently? from how you treat the other players on the team? And without hesitation, without missing a beat, he said, you better believe I did." He says, because star players have a different talent level than these players. Everybody on my team is talented, but some players have more talent than others. And my job as the head coach is to maximize their talent. So, some guys have to be in bed at 9 o'clock. And some guys can stay out till midnight. And some guys, I don't care. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him. Some guys, I don't care when they come home. As long as when they're on the field, they can produce. I must become all things to all people that thereby I might save some. It's an acknowledgment that we're not all the same. And the goal is salvation. The goal is not regimentation. The goal is salvation. I preached a sermon here six, seven months ago where I talked about the fact that children don't all learn the same way. I've got teachers in here who can attest to that. I've got parents in here who can attest to that. There are different learning styles. And it is the job of the school. It is the job of the teacher not to make the child learn your way, but for you to learn the way the child learns so that you can teach. Because the goal is for the child to learn. The master praises this shrewd manager even though it was at cost to himself because he says he knows how to take care of himself. He doesn't allow himself to be limited by what the rules say. The rules of of the 4th District Missionary Baptist Association said that women couldn't preach. I'm so glad we ain't paid no attention to the rules. Because I know for a fact women can preach. And many of them most of them can out-preach the men of the 4th District Missionary Baptist Association. And I ain't backing up off that one bit. The rules said that. The rules said sticking with my, with my contemporary stuff. The rules said that in order to be a part of Baptist State Youth Encampment, that all of the churches had to participate in all of the activities or else you could not come to the summer session that was being held either at Grambling or at Southern. If you did not participate in all of the regional activities and the monthly activities, then you were disqualified from coming to the summer session. And you know what happened to Baptist State Youth Encampus? It no longer exists. Because you made the rules more important than the relationship. I could go on, but I think I'm making my point. Jesus is teaching his disciples something. Don't allow yourself to be limited by rules when the goal is the relationship. Well, pastor, does that mean that we can just do anything? No, because there are two rules that you cannot ignore. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you keep those two rules in the sight of God, you're fine. Everything else is man-made hogwash. And you don't need to pay any attention to it at all well on the back end of the parable jesus gives a commentary look at verse 10. jesus went on to make these comments if you're honest in small things you'll be honest in big things if you're a crook in small things You'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. Now, because this whole parable revolves around money, we are led to believe that it's a parable about money. It's not a parable about money. It's a parable about principle and recognizing what the principle is. He sticks with the idea of money because that's what he started with. But the principle can be used... In other areas beyond money. The point that Jesus is making is you have to decide what's most important. No one can make that decision for you. We, 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 we said at the noon Bible study where we're studying the life of Samuel that. The main point in the early chapters and the early stories of Samuel's life are about fidelity. How faithful are we to who God called us to be? The question in our minds need never be, is God faithful to us? It's a given. It's an automatic. God is always faithful to us. The question is, are we faithful to God? And here's the point. Faithfulness does not happen automatically. Faithfulness is a choice. And it's a choice that you have to make Every day. It's a choice you have to make all day. Every day. Because, again, quoting from, from, from the noon Bible study, Peter was faithful one minute, and God used him one minute, and Peter. Lost his fidelity the next. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That's a faith-filled statement. In fact, Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. The next minute after Jesus is talking about suffering and and crucifixion and death, St. Peter yanks Jesus off to the side says, it ain't going to happen. I don't, I don't know why you're telling them that. You need to leave that alone. I got other examples of Peter. In the upper room, Peter says, Lord, I'll die with you. You ain't got to worry. I don't know what the others are going to do. But anything that happens to you, it's got to happen to me first, because I'm going to be there. I'm going to die with you. But when rubber met road, when Jesus had been yanked out of the garden and had been taken from one judgment hall to the other and when he had been beaten and when he had been blindfolded and when he had been whipped and stripped and Peter is sitting in the courtyard 10 feet away and he sees and hears all that's happened and somebody says, ain't you with him? say, "I I don't know where you got that from. I don't know him. I don't know nothing about him. More of us are like Peter than we want to acknowledge. We can say amen and shout and all that other stuff in here. And then... Y'all do know that y'all left stuff at the door when y'all came in, right? Right outside the door, there's stuff waiting to jump on you. And in here, you can say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But when that stuff jumps on you outside the door, you're gonna say something, but it ain't gonna be praise the Lord. (laughs) A lot of us are more like Peter than, 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 than we want to acknowledge. The question is never God's faithfulness to us, God's fidelity to us. The question is, are we faithful to God. And Jesus says, there is a, 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 a little criteria that you can use that will help you with that. He said, if you're faithful over little, it's an indicator that you'll be faithful over much. He says, but if you're crooked over little, it's a good sign that you can't be trusted with too much more than what you were already given. He says you have to make a choice. And all day, every day, you have to decide who you're going to serve. Joshua stands before the children of Israel before he is going to go take the long sleep as the old preachers used to say, before he's about to die. And he, he, he puts it before, he says, choose this day. Who are you going to serve? He says, if it's Baal, go ahead and serve Baal. He said, but if it's God, then serve God. He said, now, I don't know. That, that, that's the preacher in him. I don't know what you're going to do. But I got this testimony. As for me, And my house. We will. Serve. The Lord. All day. Every day. Good. And bad. It's a choice. I've told you all this. And I'm I'm stopping. All this talk about multitasking. All that's. Stuff you can throw away. There ain't no such thing as multitasking. Multitasking means that you do two or three things poorly rather than doing one thing well. I bring that up because some of us think that we can walk both sides of this fence. You can't do it. You got to pick which side are you going to be on and, 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 and understand that there are consequences for the choice that you make. And if you choose to be on the other side of the fence, Joshua says, you can make that choice. You're a free moral agent. It's all right. Just know you're going to have to deal with some stuff as a result of the choice that you have made. God's way is not an easy way. God's way is not a popular way. God's way ain't going to make you rich. I don't care what them folk tell you on TV. But ultimately, God's way is the best way. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I... Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good night.